this program, this radio program, it's been on for eight years now. And we try to bring you information that will help you and your family not only accumulate your wealth and your property and protect it, but pass it on to the next generation. That's what we are all about. That's what I'm trying to educate you about. And of course, from time to time, we have other guests on to talk about related things or things that I think you just need to know. Uh, We kind of focus on law because law is really powerful. It can help you or it can hurt you. It impacts everything that you do. And what you don't know about the law, I see it every day, really does hurt you. I see people lose money. I see people lose assets. I see people's value in their property be severely diminished. Uh, I see people inheriting amazing properties and what should be large inheritances and legacies. And they're, they're just majorly reduced because their parents, their mothers, or the prior owners of the property did not have a will, did not protect them. And so they think that, you know, in olden days, it didn't make any difference. And so they can do the same thing right now. And it's not true. It's just not true. Uh, There are a lot of people, a lot of clients even that I have, where we're trying hard to get the property, the money to the families or to the persons or persons that they intended to get it. And um, they're having to spend money on court fees, on legal fees, on all kinds of uh, taxes and other situations that could have been either completely avoided or significantly reduced if the person before they died had come to a lawyer and had their documents prepared properly so that their wishes would be most easily and effectively carried out by those that they intend to benefit. So please talk to your mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, aunts, uncles, People who own property must be educated to understand how to best transfer that property at the time of their death. And they must be encouraged to put it in writing in a legally enforceable way, in a last will and testament. That is probably the most important document that you have when you own property and your intention is to to get that property. And when I say property, I don't just mean your house. I don't just mean your land. I also mean your bank account, your car, your CDs. All of those assets are considered property under the law. And the only way in which you can be sure that the person or persons that you want to benefit get that property is to have a last will and testament that says that. 
And that last will and testament has to be clear. It has to be properly executed, witnessed, and attested. And the person that you want to get your property needs to either have the original of that last will and testament or be able to get the original of that last will and testament. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. Call me now if you have any questions about wills, trusts, power of attorneys, deeds. Call 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876. I'm on the air for an hour and a half. That's a long time. And I do this because I see so many people every day who did not have their parent, their aunt, their uncle, their mother, their brother to have a will. And they're struggling they're to, to get what they expected to have. And they've got all, they run into all kinds of difficulties because they did not have a last will and testament, because that person did not take the time to do a last will and testament. So today I'm going to focus in on that, because I'm really seeing a lot of that. And I also want to talk about people who live in a house, and their name is not on the deed to that house. I want to talk about that today as well. They live in a house. In some many instances, people live in a house. They're adults. They've been living there all their life. You know, Washington, D.C. is a wonderful city. It's a very important city, not just because it is the capital of the United States, but also because it is the home of two, three, and four generations of families of black families who have been living here, and in some instances, white families who've been living here for generation under generations. They've been living here, and now those houses that may not have cost that much initially are worth six, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000. And the people who are either living in the house are who expect to inherit the house, are having all kinds of unnecessary difficulties in getting the house in their names or getting the value of the house because the persons whose names are on the deed either died without a will or did not make the proper arrangements for the transfer of that property when they died, or even while they were alive, what, you know, to make sure that the people that have been living in the house and that they want to have the house, or whether they live in the house or not, but these are just the people, the, the children, the grandchildren, the, the nieces, the nephews, these are the people they want to have, be in the house, and yet they don't make the provisions for them. You've got to put it into a last will and testament or a deed or a trust. And it's got to be really clear that this house goes to this particular person. 
So we're going to talk about that today. And as I said, if you have questions, call now while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876. Or if you want our law office to work with you to clarify these things and to get the proper documentation in order for you, call us at 240-638-2828. Have your, your, your loved ones to call us and let us get these things done properly, please. It's really, really important. Um, the other thing that I'm just going to say it, people don't like to hear me say it, but be extremely careful not to have reverse mortgages. If you already have one and your, your children are expecting to receive your house or whoever it is that expects to inherit that house from you and there is a reverse mortgage on it, I strongly urge you to tell them, to tell them, and to allow them to try to refinance that mortgage. Uh, Reverse mortgages are beneficial to those who take them out and get what little money they give you, but they are destroying the legacy of a lot of people here in Washington, D.C., right when they should be receiving a huge benefit from the death of their ancestors into their homes, into their 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 um, names, and getting the money that those properties have increased in value. In the past two months alone, since the beginning of this year, I've had properties sold out of the state with reverse mortgages and without reverse mortgages. With a reverse mortgage, a property that sold for $600,000, the the beneficiaries only got $200,000 because a reverse mortgage where their father had gotten $60,000 from the reverse mortgage company, that reverse mortgage had grown to $400,000. He only got $60,000. But the way in which the reverse mortgage grows and grows and grows, by the time that person died, even though he may not have paid anything to the reverse mortgage company, his ancestors, his, his, his children only got $200,000 and the reverse mortgage company got $400,000 for a loan of $67,000. Another case, similar, sold the house for $600,000. The family got $550,000, you know, more or less, because there was no reverse mortgage on it, okay? So that little $67,000 loan from the reverse mortgage people cost their heirs $400,000. So I know you hear on the TV, it's such a great thing. You can always pay it back. But if you didn't need it in the first place and you and you think you need it now, please understand the probability is quite high that you're not going to be able to pay it back. And what happens is it grows so big so fast 
that in order to get out from under it, your children, your family, your intended so fast, that in order to get out from under it, your children, your family, your intended beneficiaries have to pay off the reverse mortgage people at such a high rate that usually, at least in, in my practice, they cannot afford to refinance it. And in only one or two cases have they been able to refinance the house into a regular mortgage and take it over and pay it, you know, each month as a regular mortgage happens. In only two cases in 20 years have the reverse mortgage been able to be transferred from one generation to the next. Uh, but that what that results in is the house, when it, the second person dies, is a tremendous loss of value, tremendous loss of equity when that second person dies because the reverse mortgages just grow so big and in many instances so fast. So be extremely careful with reverse mortgages. I really don't like them unless it is a last resort really and truly a last resort. Now, sometimes it is. Sometimes that is the only way people can pay for the care that they need, you know, and and someone called up and said that they used it, you know, they thought people were using it to buy a car. Not in my experience. I have never seen anyone use a reverse mortgage for anything as frivolous as buying a car. The only one that I know of, at least, a lady wanted to fix her kitchen cabinet. And by the time I met her, she had already done it. And I tried to explain to her, look, that's going to really be expensive for your son, you know, in order to pay that off. And I don't know if she did, but I know they were thinking about trying to, you know, pay it off with a regular mortgage. Um, But no, most of the time, in my experience, when people get reverse mortgages, they do it to pay for a very vital um, thing. Uh, in one instance, the uh, to pay for the illness of a child. Okay, and so on. I understand there's a caller on the line. Uh, good morning. Okay, I was calling in reference to a, a guardianship uh, conservative case I'm going through here with my family in reference to uh, my mom's. And uh, basically, I can say I've been doing everything for her for about 12 years, live with her. And mother siblings, I got three other, two brothers and a sister, that really don't do anything to contribute to help. You really have to go to a lawyer who does this kind of work where you live or in, in, the, in the state in which you live to get proper advice, to get the documentation done, because all this stuff has to be documented. When it comes to houses, land, assets, it has to be in writing, and it has to be done while the person is not only alive but in their right mind. So blame me if you need to when you talk to your parents or your grandparents and say, you know, the lawyer said that you got to do a will in order for me to be able to get the house. you got to do a will that says, I'm supposed to get the house. Or you got to do a deed that 
deeds me the house. Well, you've got to do something in writing that's legally enforceable after you die even to get me the house. Because otherwise, you're going to have to fight with your brothers and sisters, or you're going to fight with the family, or something or the other is going to happen that's going to make it much more expensive, much more difficult for you to get the property in the way in which your parents have said they want you to have. So just before the end of the last session, a man called in with a not uncommon scenario where he has lived in the house with his mother now. I assume that means his father is deceased. And they own the house. And um, I think that he was saying that they wanted him to get the house because not only has he lived there for years, um, he's taken care of them, he's paid the mortgage, you know, and so on and so forth. Well, it is imperative, imperative that his, even now if it's just his mother, do a will that says he is to get the house or do a trust that says he is to get the house or sign a deed transferring the house to him. Now, if you listen to the program, you may hear me, you may have heard me say that often it is not wise for a parent to transfer the house to a child while they're alive because of capital gains tax. And I won't go through the whole explanation. If you listen, you'll, you'll know the explanation for that. But if you're in a situation where you think that the will can be changed a trust can be changed. I've had people sneak documents in front of their parents and have them to sign it, you know, that changes what they want, you know, without them knowing it. And it's really hard to prove that. It's really, really hard to prove that. But if, you, if you're in that kind of a situation where you're worried that they may uh, do something like that or your other brothers and sisters may do something like that or somebody else, some, a lot of times, uh, strangers in, insinuate themselves into your parents' lives and get them to do things that you don't think your parents would have wanted. Remember, it's your parents' house. Okay, you got to always respect that. The law respects that. But while they are in their right mind, and when I say parents, I, this same thing for aunts, uncles, grandparents, so on like that. Any adult whose name is on the deed to the house has the legal authority to determine the transfer of that property. If your mother, your father, your uncle, your aunt, your grandparents' name is on the deed to the house, the law presumes that they own the house, and the law gives them the sole right to determine who gets that house next. This is true even if there is a mortgage on the house. That's why I tell people, if your name is on the deed, even if you're still paying for it, you own the house. You just owe money on it. You can control the disposition of that house through your will, through a deed, through a trust. It's just that if there's a mortgage on it, whoever you give it to got to pay the mortgage, okay? And the mortgage company may say, you can't transfer it until you pay us off. That's okay. That's fine. You can still sell it and pay it when you sell it. Okay? Or in your will, say it goes to my son, my daughter, whatever. And then when you die, 
you know, they got to deal with the mortgage. Or you can do a deed that says from myself to my son or my daughter or whoever you want it to go to, that deed is recorded, then they got to deal with the mortgage company, you know? So it's the mortgage is just a debt that must be dealt with, but the title, the ownership of the property belongs to the person whose name is on the deed. And it is imperative. This is happening so often in the D.C. area. It is imperative that the person whose name is on the deed make proper arrangements through a last will and testament, a trust, or a deed itself that the person they want to get that house gets it. And if you're faced with the possibility that your wishes may not be carried out after your death, it might be worthwhile to do a deed from yourself to that next person while you are alive and have that deed recorded. A lot of you own houses that have no mortgage on them. A lot of you, like I said at the beginning of the program, Washington, D.C. is a fascinating city. On top of all the news and everything is the all the politics and the power plays and stuff that goes on. But the people who live in this city are some of the best educated, most ambitious, hardworking people anywhere in the country. And a lot of them have been here for three and four generations. And so they own their homes quite often without a mortgage on it. And these homes are now worth six, $700,000. So if you are fortunate enough to own a home in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, because this also includes Maryland and Virginia, particularly Alexandria, Virginia, I had planned to talk about, you know, the best places for black people to live in the, in, the, in the United States. I had done some research on that. And right around here are some of the best places in the United States for black people to live in terms of home ownership, value of ownership, income levels, and so on like that. Bowie, Maryland, Woodmont, uh, Woodmore, Maryland, uh, um, oh God, Prince George's County, Alexandria, Virginia. All of these in Washington, D.C. Has, have large numbers of people that own homes who are of African-American descent. But we have got to get our, our, our loved ones to use the law. You have got to get them to do a will, got to get them to do proper deeds, get them those deeds straightened out. And once you do that, then you don't have to worry about the house going from one person to the next. You are secure that you get the house, okay? Now, two caveats. Number one, a will can always be changed. So if your parent or your grandparent or the owner of the house is subject to being adversely influenced, tricked, whatever, by someone else, you might want to get a deed. You might want to, it's better to own the house and have to pay the capital gains later on than to not own it or have to fight about it. Okay, normally you hear me say, don't transfer the deed while you're alive. Okay, but in a case 
like the one that just called in or whatever, it might be more worthwhile to just go and get the deed done because that that way at least you you know you're going to have the house, all right? Now, I had promised at, just before the break, and I haven't done it, so I'll do it when I come back, to give you some suggestions about how you can make arrangements for other members of the family to get something else if you're giving the house to one particular child. Because a lot of times parents are in a quandary because, yes, they want this one child to have the house, but they want to make sure that the other children get something or get get the value out of the house as well. And I've guided several people in that respect to how to make that happen. You've been listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. And I've been talking today about deeds, uh, wills, property, how important it is to have these things in place, particularly where you have one person or two people owning property and their intention is or their desire is for another person probably a a son, a daughter, a a niece, a nephew, to inherit that property. Um, So just before the break, I said that I would give you some examples of how this has been handled uh, in in other situations or similar situations. So, for example, sometimes a parent will say, I want all of my children to benefit from the value of the house. But I want to give one in particular the right to have it above or before the rest of them, and certainly before they sell it. So what the will can say is that, um, or what the parent can do, are are several things. Number one, suppose that the parent has um, a home and life insurance, maybe retirement money. In other words, the parent has other money other assets. What they can do is say, I give my home to this one particular child and I give my money from my life insurance and my retirement account to the rest of the other children. Okay. And and then they have the lawyer help them set this up. You don't want to put the retirement account and the other money if through your estate, if you can help it. But if that's the resolution or this is how you're going to do it, then you have your lawyer prepare either, well, you always have a will that says these different things. And sometimes in my wills, I will say for the client that the reason why you're doing it is because this child has taken care of me or they lived in the house or whatever, you know, and if it's just one parent alive now, you know, in one case I put both me and my husband have always determined that I will, they, we want this child to have this house, okay? And then, you know, you might say I've made other arrangements for my other children. And then what you do is you name the other children or child, whoever it is, as the beneficiaries on bank account or and or your retirement account and or your life insurance policies. So the other children get money, and this one particular child would get the house. That's one way to do it. Another way might be to say in your will, we want one child to get the house, and but they're to pay 
the others their share of the house. So let's say Mr. Robert Jones owns a house. His wife is deceased, but, it, you know, so now he owns the house by himself. And he's doing his will. He comes to the lawyer's office and does his will. And this would work uh, if, if his wife is alive as well, because both of their wills could say the same thing. And it would say, when both of us have died, we direct that the house be given to, let's say, Robert Jones Jr. And the value Robert Jones Jr. is to pay, let's say he has two sisters, Beulah Jones and um, Candace Jones are his sisters. And he is to pay them a certain amount in consideration for him getting the house. So what can happen is you can say, like I've done in several wills and several trusts, the house is to be appraised. Robert finds out, let's say the house is appraised at $300,000. And so if it's going to be an equal shares, then each one of them would have $100,000 interest in the house. And the will could say Robert is to pay each of his sisters $100,000, okay? And this works well if the house has either no mortgage or a very small mortgage because Robert, by owning the house, is able to go and get a mortgage for $200,000 and use that money to pay his sisters. Candace and Beulah will get each $100,000, and Robert gets the house. Okay? That's one way to do it. Another way would be to say we give Robert a certain amount of time to buy the house at the appraised value. Okay? And it's basically the same thing. There are all kinds of variations that we can do. You can, you can provide for your other children as well as make sure that the one child in particular that you want to get the house will get it, okay? And, but it has to be done and set up before you die, needless to say. It has to be written up by a lawyer, and it has to be enforceable by Robert. And don't don't leave it to chance. Don't don't say, please, that I know my children will work it out between them. They won't. All that's going to happen is you're forcing them to sell the house. And that's what's happening more and more. I'm seeing it in D.C. constantly over and over again. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. Give me a call now while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876 or call me at the office, Wills and Trusts, LLC, where the only kind of law we do is this kind of work. Our number at the office is 240-638-2828. I understand there's another caller on the line. Good morning. May I help you? Yes, good morning, Attorney Mitchell. How are you this morning? I'm fine, thank you. Fine. How can I help you? Okay, Attorney uh, Mitchell, I have an out-of-the-box question. Now, this is relating to lottery tickets. Okay, now, there have been uh, many who have won uh, millions of dollars on these scratch-off tickets. Just last week, a lady won, I mean, uh, 
uh, husband won $10 million and he gave the ticket to his wife on Valentine's Day. Years before, mm-hmm. there was a lady uh, who won $5 million. She gave her uh, as a gift to her husband on Christmas. Now, most people who win large sums of mon- money probably will take their time, you know, after getting over the shock and everything, <laughs> to seek, you know, the hope of an attorney or et cetera. Now, most people will go ahead and sign the ticket also. Now, my question is, can a lottery ticket be put into a trust or will just in case a person's demise come before they're able to um, seek their attorney and get everything squared away? Um, now, I'm asking so I know what to do when I become one of the million-dollar winners. So I'm speaking <laughs> it into, I'm speaking, Attorney Mitchell, I'm speaking it into existence. Now, I'm putting hey. it into the universe on this show this morning. I ain't mad what at you. What do I need to do I with that ticket? <laughs> what, what do I need to do? Before you go to, to 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 turn in the ticket, okay, it would take it would take longer for you to create the trust and put it in, and I'm not sure that's a good idea anyway. But I have had someone who won the lottery, okay, a, a big one too. And the 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 what I did with that person was take that person immediately to a tax lawyer who specialized in this kind of thing, and. He was able to create the right kind of tax situation uh, or provisions because there are extremely complicated tax stuff around not just winning the lottery, but also what happens to that money or the lottery earnings when you die, okay? Particularly if you choose, as many people do, Instead of getting it in one lump sum, getting it over a 20-year or 10-year or 15-year period of time. In other words, you can choose to either take the whole $10 million or you can choose to get a certain amount every year, an annuity with it, in other words. Okay? If you choose to get the annuity, there are very complicated tax things that happen when you die, as well as if you choose to take it all at the same time. So that is, I mean, I, I have had that experience, and I, 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 I know when I'm above my head. And when you get over $10 million or something like that, I, I take you to somebody that really knows the tax situation. And he was able to amend the trust in such a way that her family, when, when she died, did not have to worry about paying a lot of money in taxes that would have been due and owing um, even before they got the money, you know. So it's not a it's not a simple thing. But the time that it would take you to have a lawyer create a trust to put the ticket in, which is not necessarily the best thing to do, that time is better spent going to a lawyer that really knows the tax part of lottery winnings and not just the amount that they take off the top when you first get it, but also what happens later on down the line when you die with it. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you this, Attorney Mitchell. That's a a serious answer, by the way. Okay. That's a serious answer. Now we all would love to win the lottery. I would too, but it is, it's important that we learn big, with big money comes big taxes and big responsibility. I'm going to win that $85 million uh, lottery tonight. Now, all right. I I got the ticket. I signed the back of the ticket. 
However, no. oh, you say don't sign the back of the ticket? Not yet. Not yet. I, I, at least that that's what I was told by the lawyer that I contacted when I first, um, you know, when this lady got in touch with me. She was actually already a client when she got it. Uh, but go on, me- go on, keep going. Okay. I don't know. I don't look. I don't okay. know the details of the lottery. Okay, okay. but I think I think, I, I, can know. To, I, I think you're supposed to sign it because if you lose the ticket, somebody else is going to <laughs> going to have your ticket, okay. and it's not signed. Right. Okay, so, so, so let me ask you a question. Okay. My question is, okay, I signed the ticket, but however, God decided me decided the next day I ain't waking up. Does my family get that ticket? Does that ticket go into probate? Yes, if you didn't have, if you have a will, it goes into probate. If you have a trust, it may not go into probate, but I don't know. I don't know because okay. I don't know. Remember, when you own something, whether it's a bank account, a house, the title, the ownership of the document controls how it's distributed and how it it where it goes. If you have a trust and let's say you just own it in your own name. Let's say it was a bank account. In your own name, there's no beneficiary designation on it. You're the only owner on it. With or without a will, it has to go through probate. Yes. Okay? The, the answer is yes. Because it's got to get to your heirs some kind of way. If your will says it goes to your husband, your child, your children, your niece, your nephew, charity, whatever, it will eventually go to where that, that, that will says it's supposed to go to. If you if you have a trust and the will says it goes into your trust, it goes into your trust. All right. But whatever it is, you're gonna to have to pay the court fees and and in in many courts, most courts, it determines that determines that is determined by the value of the asset. Okay. If it's already in your trust, if you were able to transfer it into your trust, now I'm not sure how you would do that with a lottery ticket. I just don't know the answer to that, okay? But if you had been, if you already had a trust and you were able to transfer it into your trust, then again, you would still have to pay whatever taxes were due on it, but the trust would then govern who would get it and in what proportions. If you had no will, okay, it's just in your name and you die, the law of intestate succession will determine who gets it and in what proportion. And that's where the law says if you are married and you have children, your spouse gets a percentage, your children get a percentage. If you are married, you have no children, your parents get a percentage, and your spouse get a percentage. If you're not married and you have children, your children get equal share, in or outside children, okay? If you have no children, then the law goes on down the line. It's called intestate succession, all right? That will govern any distribution of any asset where you have no will. And that's why I I started out today talking about the importance of having a will, because I know you're talking about something a lot more interesting, the, 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 the lottery ticket, but people call me every week and they say, before my husband died, he made sure my name was on here, my name was on there and so on like that. But one of the things that people often forget about is the car the car. A lot of times your car is in your individual name. Guess what? That car has to go through probate now. And if there's a child that's going to give you trouble about it, that child has a right to come in and say, I want such and such a value of the car. So, so, but if you had a will that says everything goes to my spouse, 
And even if you have to go through probate, the spouse gets the car. And the child doesn't have a leg to stand on. But without a will, a lot of people are, are trying to think, well, that we don't have to have a will because we've done, done this and done that and so on. It is so common that something is left out. And that opens and exposes the person who is, is the survivor to a fight in a probate court. And often it's over very little. It has nothing to do with what else you left them. doesn't matter that you left that child something else. You didn't do a will to protect your spouse. You didn't do a will to protect your niece, your nephew, your whoever it was that you wanted to protect. That will is the ultimate protection. It really is. I guess once I I win it tonight, I will be blowing up my attorney's phone so he could put it in my will or my trust in case. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Please do. Please do. In all all seriousness, please do, you know, because people have serious assets and it's, you got to take care of them. You know, you got to take care of them. Your mother and father paid that mortgage every month to make sure that that house was paid for. But they worked really hard to be able to buy that house for cash. You know, how whatever it was, however it was that they were able to do it, you know, you have an obligation to protect it. And these wills and trusts, that's the way in which you do it. And, and you really, please tell them, don't depend on we you know, the brothers and sisters getting along. We may love each other and fight like crazy, you know, or all you need is one of them to raise a stink, and there you go. Maybe the spouse of one of them in their ear saying, hey, you should get more than that one because you did so-and-so. Or maybe you did do more, but it doesn't, the law isn't going to give you any more if your parent didn't give you more. Or if your spouse didn't do a will to protect you, they didn't protect you. If you have family property, like most of us have family property, family property is, is, you know, you know what your grandmother said. You know what your grandfather said. They said, keep the house and the family. You know, make sure that somebody by this name owns the house. If so, they've got to put it in writing in a will or in a trust, or in a deed. Otherwise, you've got a fight on your hands, and you've got a lot of money to spend to establish a right to it, and then you often have to get more money to pay off all those other people that have a share of it. That's part of the cost of ownership, but you can reduce that cost with a will. Really, it makes, it makes such a difference. It really does. It makes such a difference. So good luck tonight. I may have to go out and get me a ticket. (laughs) That sounds like a good idea, actually, you know, in this cold. But uh, good luck tonight, and good luck to all of you who are trying to get your your assets in order, whatever it is, okay? You all are listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. If you'd like us to work with you, give us a call at 240-638-638. 2828. It's 2406382828. The way in which we work is we send you a client information form. If it's for yourself or your 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 parent or your 
your shelter, your 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 spouse or whoever, or brother and sister. We send your client information form so you can send it back with your name, address, phone numbers, names and addresses of children and intended beneficiaries. Tell us a little about property that you own and how you want things to go. When we get that back, when it's ready, I'll send you a link to an email portal that you can send it through that's secure. Then we establish a video consultation to discuss what you want, what your concerns are, and so on, and make recommendations as how to accomplish those concerns. Okay, if somebody has already died and you need to have the will probated, or if they've died and they have no will, give us a call and we will establish, we will send you a probate information form. Again, that form asks for information about the deceased person, where they died, when they died, were they married, did they have children, if they did, the names and addresses of those children, uh, did they have a will, uh, the names and addresses of the people named in the will, uh, and then when it's ready to come back, we send you a link, send me an email, and I'll send you a link to a secure email portal where you return the probate information form and the will. We then set up a video conference and we talk about it. That way I can look at the will. I can tell you what needs to be done. If there's property involved, if a house or whatever, I can look up the deed. If it's in D.C. or Maryland, in Virginia, you have to send me a copy of the deed. I can't look up deeds in, in Virginia. Um, but And then we know or we can advise you on how to get started and what needs to be done. So many people call me and they say, my mother didn't have a will, my father didn't have a will, and now my brother or sister, who I haven't heard from in years, I never did anything for her or him, is trying to take everything from me, um, raising all kinds of questions, wondering what has been done, and... Um, you know, a lot of times people are horrified that, you know, it means that they have to share equally with everybody else. You have got to have a last will and testament as a, a, a final expression of your wishes. Uh, if you have a trust, that can be the final expression of your wishes. But you've got to do this. When you don't, you really fail to protect your loved one, your intended beneficiary. So please, wherever you live, if you live in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Northern Virginia area, give us a call at 240-638-2828 or whatever lawyer you want that does this kind of work to make sure. And be careful with wills that only say, I give everything in equal shares or in percentages or something like that. When you give in your will or in your trust in equal shares and you don't make specific arrangements for the distribution of a house or land to particular people, you almost always, as a practical matter, force the sale of that house because if everybody has a share of the house it is almost impossible 
to get them to agree. It can be done. You can do, you know, appraisals and so on like that. And then if they can agree, you know, uh, somebody will mortgage the house, get the money and pay everybody off. But it doesn't, I mean, it, it, that's a very cumbersome process. Okay. And as a practical matter, it doesn't usually work very well. So be careful. If your intention is for someone to get the house, okay, someone in particular, say that. Say in your will or in your trust, I give my house to so-and-so person, and then say what else you want to have happen with the rest of your assets. Or you can say, I give my house to so-and-so person on the condition that he or she paid the other children their, you know, an equal value of, you know, equal to whatever their share of the house would have been or X amount of money or whatever. So you can, you can both make sure they get the house, but condition them getting the house on him or her doing something that will benefit the other children. Okay, but it, it, it's it's really, really important that you look at or review your will to make sure that it accomplishes what you really want. And, and more and more when I do these wills and trust and so on, I've almost always put in a specific clause that we call it devise. You devise a house, you devise real property devises the property to a particular person, or if you wanted an equal shares, that's fine. But what I'm finding is in, uh, in, in places like D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, where property is so valuable, it almost always requires the sale of the property. So if keeping the house in the family is a major objective, then we need to be a bit more creative with how that house is distributed and who has first rights to get it and how that is to be accomplished. So if that's your intention or, you know, you think that that's what you want to do or if the, the ancestor has already died and you're trying to work out something with uh, the other heirs, give us a call at 240-638-2828. I don't do litigation, but if, if we can work it out, we will certainly try to work it out in a way that's acceptable to everyone. And if we can't, then I can refer you to someone who can help you on the litigation side uh, or on the guardianship side. But remember, these documents need to be prepared and signed before you're the person who owns the property becomes incompetent. They must be competent and know what they're signing. There has, and if there is going to be a question about it, it's wise to have proof from a doctor, a disinterested doctor who says, I've examined this person and they are competent. And remember, you can be physically disabled but still be fully mentally competent. It's mental competency 
That is the issue. Um, so get the documents done, even if people may um, dispute it or fight about it. Once it's in writing and it's, it's executed properly, it's really hard to go against it. Uh, more and more wills and trusts that I've done many years ago are coming up now. And one in particular where there was a possibility that people might dispute it. I've been put, I have always put in, not always, but most of the time I'll put in a no contest clause that says if anybody contests this will or this trust, they either get nothing or they get $1. Okay. Uh, it, it, and, and if you expect other people to show up that maybe have not been named, you can go further and say, I have named the people I want to benefit in this will or in this trust, and anybody that I did not name, I knowingly, voluntarily, and clearly did not intend to inherit, okay, or something to that effect, so that, it, again, if Somebody comes up and says, oh, but he surely would not have left me out of the will, or he promised me that he was going to leave this, and they didn't do it, or she didn't do it in their will. It's very clear they didn't do it on purpose. So let your will and your trust speak for you. If there's a real problem, you may want to go on and do a deed and transfer it, that property to who you want it to go to, and you can do it and reserve a life estate. So you, they can't put you out as long as you're alive. Okay, it's another way to do it. There are all kinds of ways of doing these things. So give us a call at two four zero six three eight two eight two eight. That's two four zero six three eight two eight two eight. Wills and Trust LLC, and we'll be glad to work with you. Listen to the podcast, Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the different uh, platforms for podcasting. Look it up, listen to it, and you can learn a lot there as well. Uh, but in the meantime, please, please take care of yourself. Take care of your loved ones. Protect them with the law. The law is powerful. Use it. Protect them. Make sure that your legal documents are in order and uh, stay safe. Okay? Have a good week. WOL Washington, D.C. W240DJ Washington. 95.9 WMMJ HD3 Bethesda. WKYS HD3 Washington. WPRS HD3 Waldorf and worldwide at WOLDCnews.com. At Minimally Invasive Vascular Center, they address your problem head on. Growing older is not the end of your sex life. Sexual dysfunction becomes more common as men age. About 40% of men experience some kind of erectile dysfunction. 
dysfunction beginning at age 40. Erectile dysfunction is commonly related to diabetes, smoking, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and poor circulation. Common symptoms include difficulty obtaining or maintaining an erection, leg pain, or leg fatigue. At the Minimally Invasive Vascular Center, there are specialists that can evaluate and treat your vascular-related erectile dysfunction. Under the leadership of Dr. Jeffrey Dormu, they are here to help with your cardiovascular needs. They are open for business and stand by their commitment to provide world-class care. Go to MIVCMD.com. That's MIVCMD.com or call 855-803-MIVC-6482 to make your appointment today. They focus on your circulation to keep you going. Get healthy so you can enjoy life and remember, getting older does not mean the end of your sex life. Is reality radio. The reality is that for far too long, there have been efforts to refocus the now $1.3 trillion annual spending power of the black consumer market. Over the past several decades, there have been numerous buy black campaigns, but still only about 3% of that $1.3 trillion circulates back to the black community. So let's try it again. Each week, we will identify three black